Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Oh, hey, you're here. Well, welcome. Come on in. Cold? Well, have a seat by the fire. And here, have a have a glass of eggnog. Oh, you're tall. You're lactose intolerant. I forgot. Okay. Well, let me let me turn down the fire here. It's it's fake. One of these fake logs, anyway, so we can we can talk. This is a very special podcast episode where uh, it's a fireside chat with my friends in the smart home podcast world, the folks who are gracious enough to put their podcasts on technology.fm, which is the site I run, the curated podcast collective semi-network that features some really great smart home podcasts. On this podcast, we have the folks from Home Tech FM, Jason Griffin and Seth Johnson. We also have Richard Gunther from Home On. And we decided on fairly short order that we should do a year-end podcast where we all get together and talk about what we liked about 2015 at Smart Home, some of the trends we observed. And we recorded this literally just a couple days ago. And we're putting it out on all the different feeds. So if you already get the podcast of Home Tech FM or Home On, you might have already heard this. I've added a little extra special sauce, such as that really great sound effect at the beginning, uh, and a, a little bonus song at the end, just to wish you a happy holiday. But overall, it's the same podcast. If you haven't listened to Home Tech FM or Home On, you should go to technology.fm. You can listen to them both there or find out where the respective sites are. And you can also get my show, The Smart Home Show, at technology.fm as well. But that's really it. I hope you enjoy this podcast, and I hope you have a great rest of the holiday season as well as a great 2016. Talk to you soon, everybody. Hey, everyone, and welcome to uh, what is the inaugural Technology.fm Holiday Fireside Chat. We're so happy to have you with us. This is a pretty special episode, and uh, Jason Griffin here from Home Tech, joined as usual by my partner, Seth. Seth, how are you? Good, man. How's it going? Very good. Excited for the show. And uh, what's special about this episode is that we have actually members from three different podcasts here. So I'll kick it over first to Mike Wolf. Mike, for anyone who hasn't listened to your show, why don't you give us a brief introduction? Uh, sure. Just let me uh, let me put another log on the fire here. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh, toasty. Hey, uh, yeah. Thanks for uh, asking me to be on this. This was a great idea. Um, my show is called The Smart Home Show. Um, I think there's a lot of commonality between the audiences. And so uh, we, we were doing a lot of pre-discussion about how we would distribute this. You'll probably find this in one of our feeds. Um, but if you haven't listened to my show, I, I, I talk to people in the industry, interview them. I'm, I, I know way less about technology than pretty much everyone on this call. Um, like, you know, you guys installing and stuff, you're way more technical than me. So I bow down to your technicalness. I just, <laughs> I just fake it, <laughs> but I, I, I probably have more of a, a little bit of an industry angle than you guys. Cause I talked to guys, uh, in the industry, um, trying to look at the business aspects and and talking about the technology when it when it's appropriate. So, but uh, thanks yeah, thanks for yeah. having me on. No, we're excited. We think it's going to be a great episode. And and so you actually just to kind of summarize, come at it from uh, the analyst angle. Would you say that's kind of a fair, just simple way to put it? Yeah, that's a way more uh, succinct uh, and <laughs> good description than my, my messy blabbering. Yes. <laughs> 
Awesome, Mike. Well, we're, we're happy to have you here for this, uh, for this chat with us. Also, we've got Richard Gunther. Uh, listeners to our show are probably familiar with him as well. But Richard, just in case there's anybody listening to this episode um, who hasn't heard the Home On podcast, why don't you give us uh, a brief introduction? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Richard Gunther with the Digital Media Zone, and I host Home On. And Home On is a show that's really intended to look at this space from the consumer's perspective. So we try to look at product and capabilities more than technology. I come from a technology background, though, and so I think that understanding helps me perhaps better explain the utility of some of the devices that we're seeing hitting the market. But yeah, it's it's uh, been on the uh, been been on the internet for about two and a half years now. Awesome. Well, it's a great show, and we often tell our listeners to go uh, check that out. And um, Seth, I'm going to kick it over to you here to kind of give a brief introduction of of our show, Home Tech. Uh, for people that are tuning into this uh, through Mike or Richard's feed and maybe haven't heard of us before. Yeah, so it's uh, we, we try to shoot for being a weekly home technology show where we, we cover much of the same things. Uh, we, we try and hit on some of the news items that happen each week. And then, of course, uh, we you and I, Jason, we, we have a, uh, a background in uh, doing technical things in the the professional side of the industry. So, um, you know, the guys that are that are going out and installing uh, these home automation systems uh, uh, as a business. Um, that's that's our background. Um, I've been doing it, oh, geez, like ten or fifteen years, and I think you have just about the same amount of experience yep. as well. So, yep. just about there. Yeah. So exactly. It's uh, it, that that's that's kind of our our angle and our stick is we we try and uh, to bring at least. Our experience of, of, of things that we've seen and, and products that we've seen come and go uh, and kind of put that on top of, of, of the things that are happening every single day in, in the consumer and, and professional. I mean, we, we cover both angles, um, markets. So, uh, yeah, all, all of these shows, by the way, are, are on the uh, technology.fm uh, uh, website. So if, if you want to listen to us all, you can head on over there and, uh, and check out links and, and find links to each one of the shows. Yeah, definitely. And, and speaking of uh, technology.fm, actually, that gives us a nice opportunity here. Before we jump into kind of the main um, portion of the show, Mike, why don't you give everybody kind of an overview of technology.fm? This was your initiative. We are all uh, a proud members of that of that initiative now. And, and I'd love for anybody who is listening who may not be familiar with it, if you could just give them a little bit of context about that. Yeah, it's a curated site. It's, it's I think, network's too strong a word, even though Apple reached out to us and, and essentially made us a, a network within the confines and context of iTunes. But I, I just had found some podcasts out there that I had liked and thought it might be fun to create a, a website that featured many of these. And it's become like a great landing place for people who are interested in connected home because we have home tech, we have home on and, and my show. And so I think it's if you're interested in smart home, it's a great place to just check out some podcasts as well as things on wearables. We have, you know, we have uh, Daily Tech News Show with Tom Merritt and a few others as well. So if you're interested in tech podcasts, it's a good place to check out. Awesome. Great summary. Well, I think uh, I, I will go ahead and, and throw another log on the fire here <laughs> on my end. And uh, let's jump in to the inaugural technology.fm holiday fireside chat. Very excited to get going here. And we're going to kind of break this episode up into a few just kind of key sections and try to keep things high level and, and move through. Um, as you can hear from the intro, we've got a number of different people on the call who come at this from from different angles. And so I'm excited to kind of share ideas and, and share some opinions about what was important this year, what was uh, 
you know, what was kind of the big stories, what were some of our favorite stories, and of course, what, what we're looking forward to seeing uh, next year. So without uh, further ado, the first kind of main segment that we're going to jump into on the show here is we're just going to talk uh, about what our favorite home technology stories were of 2015. Now, this doesn't necessarily, favorite doesn't necessarily equate to the most important or most significant. These were just stories that kind of resonated um, with each one of us personally for uh, whatever reason. So I think we'll start with Mike here. And Mike, what would you say was your favorite home tech story of, of 2015? I think the overall strategy coming together for Amazon around their different initiatives was the most compelling and interesting to me. Uh, just the one I probably talked the most about on the Smart Home Show and one I've probably written the most about on my my blog. Um, and so that's broken down to a couple of different pieces. I think the most uh, well-known story and the one that's gotten the most press is Echo. Amazon Echo, which is the essentially the delivery vehicle for their virtual assistant, which is Alexa, and their home home or their voice recognition assistant. It came in the guise of what essentially is a connected speaker, but it quickly transformed and we saw it evolve into this really interesting virtual assistant that basically is, for lack of a better description, uh, Siri Siri the love child of Siri uh, and like Sonos essentially is what what I would call it and. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, you know, it kind of came out of left field. What I loved about the story of of Alexa's and and uh, the Amazon Echo is it just came so out of left field. I think I don't think anyone. I read a lot of smart home stuff, a lot of connected home writing. No one anticipated this. Like we were all just like, "What? Where did this thing come from?" Mm-hmm. So that's the you yeah. know the number one overall Amazon story. Plus, you know, I've been really intrigued with what they've been doing around things like their uh, connected home services or their home services, as well as what they've been doing with their uh, with their dash replenishment and the dash button. I think the dash button people know about. It's this you know singular button you could press to get more detergent sent to your house. But I think the bigger vision there is this essentially a, a commerce platform for the home that will be integrated with all sorts of connected devices, including this is like a great segue. Wink devices, at least th- th- that was the initial strategy. Ah, yes, <laughs> uh, but that may not happen. Will Richard? <laughs> yeah, that's who the, knows? Guys, but- that, that's. How do you like that subway, guys? Is that good? That was, that was very good, but I'm not actually <laughs> – Couldn't have planned it any better. <laughs> I'm not actually ready to segue because I think the other thing that is worth noting there is the the other stuff that they're doing just in online commerce for Smart Hub too, right? At the Smart Kitchen Summit that you held last month – I spoke with Matt Furlong, who heads up the group that includes home automation, and they they said flat out their goal is to be able to sell pretty much every smart home product available, period. That's Which not dangerous. interesting because it, it seemed like a, more of a curated website at first, but it maybe they're kind of hewing more true to their original like bookstore vision of like trying to be like the biggest store on earth for it, like everything. And it seems like they're moving from a curated model to like everything under the sun, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I, I do think it is, you know, an interesting play. It's like I was just in a conversation the other day, actually, with a, an architect. We were sitting down and having kind of a project lunch and just talking about the technology scene in general. And, you know, Nest came up. He was talking about how he just bought a, a Nest for his wife for Christmas. And we talked about HomeKit. And then, you know, Amazon came up and I I kind of just mentioned um, very loosely Amazon's approach to the smart home. And uh, he was just sort of like, I didn't really know Amazon was doing anything in the smart home. So I feel like they've been a little more 
off the radar for people that aren't necessarily paying as much attention, I'd say, but you know, Amazon's quietly doing their thing and, and definitely, I think it's a, a unique approach when you can, when you contrast it with things like HomeKit and Nest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to loop back around to that, the dash replenishment, DRS dash replenishment services, um, that Amazon, I, I, that, that is got to be the biggest, I mean, thing that's, that, that, they've released around the home technology um, ecosystem, I, I suppose. I mean, as far as Amazon's concerned, because this actually is what's going to propel their business model. I mean, they're not, they're not going to become a home automation company overnight, um, but they, they have done very well on logistics and selling products and getting them into their homes. Heck, I even bought, and you guys may not know this, but I bought a $9 Wink egg tray um, earlier this year, <laughs> and uh, I've got four <laughs> eggs in the thing. Uh, right now, just just give me an egg update. But and you I mean, know that from your I app. I went to Amazon to get it. So yeah, what's that? You know that from your app. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, but um, but I, the dash replenishment services that's that's huge for Amazon, and it just being a ubiquitous API. I mean, it it could tie into just about anything, um, inside both inside and outside the Amazon ecosystem, um, to really. Uh, help out, you know, kind of the things that we've always talked about, you know, it, it would make the actual smart refrigerator, you know, the, that trope and, and joke of, of home technology, like that refrigerator is only possible with um, something like dash replenishment services as the back end, because otherwise you, you get a nice little shopping list. But with DRS, the refrigerator could actually, and today could exist where it could actually order the product and it show up at your door the next day. Um, hope you're in town, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting approach. And, and Mike, now that we've completely ruined your, your perfect segue into wing, <laughs> we'll, we'll go with the, the not so perfect segue of Seth and his, his egg tray. And let's jump to Richard. Richard, I know wink, this was what you had listed as kind of your favorite, uh, home technology story of the year. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, what I wanted to list was the highly anticipated release of my software homeboy. But in fact, I decided to go with Wink instead. And uh, the, nice plug. <laughs> the, the, um, yeah, the, you know, the news around Wink this year was really fascinating. And it, it was a rough, rough year for this company. And I think we started the year following last year's introduction, which was also rocky, Wondering, okay, well, what are they going to be doing next? They had, prior to the year's end, announced a whole bunch of new products. Not that they were coming out with, but that Quirky was coming out with. That was weird. So, that you know, they had this branding issue. What was Wink? What was Quirky? And then, at some point in the year, they had this certificate problem that ended up bricking about 10%, you know, depending what you read, they're going to tell you, oh, everyone's hub got bricked. Everyone has, everyone's hub did not get bricked. About 10% of their customers' hubs got bricked. They jumped on it and helped people out with that. But then the next thing we hear is Quirky is uh, pretty much getting rid of Ben. <laughs> After Ben <laughs> talks about the fact that yeah, well, you know, we don't really have much money left. I don't know how much longer we're going to be <laughs> alive. Uh, apparently, I don't know, maybe other people in the organization didn't figure that was the best strategy. But they ended up declaring bankruptcy. 
And so everybody wondered, well, what happens to Wink? Is Wink going to get revolved? You know, are, are we going to end up with another product that consumers bought into and it's just going to go away? And the good news at the end of the year here is that Flex's purchase of Wink is designed to cont- to allow Wink to continue to operate and to grow. And I hope that happens. I really hope that happens. Wink's had a lot of problems, but it is a promising platform. And with the right attention and the right dedication to some quality control, I think it could be a very good contender next year for a leading product. I I saw when you put Wink down, Richard, I was like disappointed because I think it's the I think you're right. This is probably the most entertaining and fascinating story. And it, it's definitely like a, a business case study, probably the number one in the smart home. There's just so many wrinkles to this. Um, the fact that Flex actually swooped in and took it, uh, took over Wink is has a lot to do with the fact that they were the biggest debtor and Wink owed them a ton of money <laughs> for all the contract manufacturing they did. Uh, but just like the story of, of Ben Kaufman, I mean, I had actually seen him as kind of this potential, potentially visionary type smart home if there was going to be like an Elon Musk a yeah. smart home and maybe I, I totally misread it because I felt like he had a vision and I still think he's visionary but he has no absolutely no business sense I think there's this idea of like vision and then there's this idea of how to run a business he has one of those he doesn't have the other but it's definitely been a fascinating story and just thinking about it, we were talking a little bit before the show about going to CES just going to CES last year going to talk to them I don't know if you went to talk to them Richard but it was just it was just so representative of how, how awkward the division between the companies were. You'd walk into their little showroom and you had a they funneled you off to the wink side or the quirky side, but they weren't mixing the two. <laughs> and it was just a very forced and awkward type of setup. And it, just, it felt that way with the company as well. Yeah, that that video that they they released was was uh, was pretty shocking. I mean, we 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 talked about it a little bit on the show too, like um, where he was being interviewed and just basically laid it out on the table that, you know, they, they weren't going to be operating for very much longer. Um, he was pretty direct as I remember. And I, I just remember being kind of shocked as to how, um, you normally don't hear that. You definitely don't hear that from most CEOs of any, any larger company. Yeah, it was the whole, I I'll just echo. I think you guys have, have pretty much summed it up nicely. There's not a lot I can add to that. I, I just do think that it was, something we were kind of joking about on home kit or on, on home tech, I'm sorry, was that it was just weird how this whole story was unfolding with the bankruptcy and, and everything that was going on. But yet we kept seeing stories break across different blogs and feeds about new integrations coming out of wink and, and what they were doing. So I, we were, Seth and I were kind of laughing at it on our show and saying, well, I think, you know, there, there's still people working there. I don't know if the lights are on, but, uh, you know, they're, they're doing something. And so it was just, I think this was a great pick, Richard, in terms of, of a favorite story, because it definitely was one, uh, like Mike said, that was kind of just, just fascinating to, um, to watch it unfold. I think uh, unless anybody has anything else to add on the wink front, uh, we'll move on here to uh, Seth's story. Seth, what was, uh, tell us about your favorite uh, home technology story of the year. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I had Wink picked as well. <laughs> I think Richard uh, beat me to the punch there, but uh, Wink was definitely, like Mike said, very the most entertaining story of this year. Um, I even had a link to that perverted robot commercial. It's kind of going back and looking at what we were talking about. <laughs> uh, that, that's great. I mean, uh, we'll put a link to it in, in the show notes here on the show. But that 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 uh, th- that's what we were talking about, Jason. Like at the beginning of the year, right after CES, and you know, we were talking about Wink and, and this really strange commercial that we saw. And then, yeah, they they 
it's been like highs and lows for them this year, and uh, now it looks like they're heading heading back up the hill. So that's good. Um, but my favorite uh, story this year is actually, uh, believe it or not, um, HomeKit. I I really I know it wasn't like the hard launch that everybody was you know hoping it would be. Apple didn't like hold a HomeKit parade <laughs> and and walk home automation down the streets of San Francisco like you know you and I probably want to have happen. But um, yeah. I am really uh, in, enjoying seeing what's going on here. Uh, in, <laughs> You're with, clearly with not HomeKit using ecosystem. this stuff. <laughs> I, I'm, I haven't I haven't gotten any yet, but I like the direction. Is I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, and and Richard, I hear all those complaints, but um, there's not there's complaints, and then there's people that go, "This stuff just works." Like I know from being in the industry that I'm in, like you you definitely hear from those. Um, small percentage of people that do have problems, but there's a there's a larger ecosystem out there, and I know that those people aren't having the same problems as that you you run into on a day to day basis. Like the biggest complaints I hear are when people try to start mixing things together and getting things uh, crosstalk going on between the two systems, and it's like, well, no wonder it doesn't work. That's you know technology one one. Pick something and stick with it. Um, I, I I'm I'm excited to see ex- at least what is going on with HomeKit. Um, I like, I like the direction more than I, I like, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I like the idea behind it, uh, more than I like buying, having to go and buy a hub and, and set something up. Like you just, you get a HomeKit compatible product. It should talk with your phone. Um, you know, I'm sure bugs will get worked out. This is only the, well, this is really the first year of it. I mean, we haven't had right. actual products in our hands until mid year this year. Um, so Running into the first year of dealing with HomeKit product, I think it's I think it's pretty good, and I I I definitely think that uh, that uh, it's got a long way to go, but it's definitely looks like it's going to be a great thing one of these days. I I hope that's true because I've tested nearly every product that's available in this ecosystem, and I would say that about half of them work most of the time, and that's not it just works. <laughs> in my experience. Right. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, that's, that's not something that it's funny. I mean, it's like Jason and I are kind of probably awkwardly laughing because this stuff that we put in every day, you know, can, has run into that, um, that issue in the very beginnings of, of their, like if I think about control four or, um, the first time I set up a, uh, URC remote, like, yeah, it definitely worked half the time, but, uh, even even so far as using a Logitech remote, I mean, I, there were there were, there were times I was I was ready to 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 commit arson and burn that that company down. <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely has gotten better over the years, and and as time goes on, these things will get better. Yeah, you know, and and we did say this was your favorite story of the year, right? So it's about yeah, I think yeah. Seth's really a fan of the vision, which, which I can totally get. And, and I love the fact, Richard, that you can chime in with kind of firsthand experience. And, and I think that's super valuable. Mike, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, on kind of what the, the year held for HomeKit here. Yeah, I think that it was certainly set up to be the biggest story of the year. And I think, you know, heading into 2015, we all kind of wondered, was this to be the year of HomeKit? I think that, you know, everyone's right to be disappointed. I think ultimately I th- when I think about it, and and I know that Richard and I have talked about this, I think part of this is a, a deliberate slow rollout, um, kind of the ultimate slow rollout by by Apple. But I do think that they maybe in over 
estimated their ability to kind of herd the cats. When you talk about the smart home ecosystem, this is like a very difficult market. It's not like creating, you know, you know, they were early in on FireWire and, and they were early in on some of these other type of technologies where it's literally just connecting one kind of one device into a box. But this is like an immensely, and I, I would imagine the most difficult technology ecosystem they've ever wrestled with. And talking to people who are in startups who bet their their companies on HomeKit, there's a lot of frustration right now. I mean, there's a lot of frustration. And a lot of them are scratching their head wondering why Apple hasn't basically pulled the trigger because some of them have had their product ready to go for months and months, but Apple hasn't pulled the trigger. Uh, and so these products are, are just sitting there and, and some of these companies have moved on and said, okay, we're going to work with – not that they're not going to roll out a HomeKit product. But they're saying, well, okay, let's focus on on Google Weave now, or let's focus on one of these other platforms right now. We'll put our resources here, and when Apple's ready, we'll we'll go with it. Yeah, and I I I think that's the thing. Like we we saw the the APIs released two years ago and said, oh, this is great. Apple's getting into home automation, and I feel that even myself, you know, like we we talked it up a lot more than it actually was going to be the story that that actually came up. Like the Apple fan base is much more excited about things like the, you know, the iPad pro and the pencil thing and this crazy battery pack that you can buy for your phones. Now, like HomeKit isn't even something that the vast majority of Apple uh, people are going to talk about. Um, but it is there and it is something that is on every single iOS device, which there are a ton of. Um, and by sheer market space, I mean, this thing is, this thing has the numbers behind it, you know, it will have to work one of these days is, is my opinion. And with a billion dollar company behind it, you know, I, I think, I think it's got some pretty good legs to stand on. Um, and I just kind of want to toss like uh, something out. We, we talked a little bit about HomeKit, uh, HomeKit, uh, smart things. Uh, was it last week or the week before on our show, Jason? And mm-hmm. like, we got some feedback, like smart things from, from a number of people where they were just like, no, don't recommend smart things for anything. This, this stuff doesn't work. And I was just listening to uh Stacey's show and she was like, do not buy smart things. It's yeah. not working very well. So, I mean, this, this is not just home problem. This is everything that's on the industry right now. It does not work as well. And it, it, there's no way it can work as well as the manual counterpart um, to it. And I guess, um, or, or, uh, I should toss in there, like maybe the more expensive thing like Insteon or, um, the Crestron control Four, Lutron lighting, that kind of thing. So I, I think for me, the, the story that sums up home kit for the year, which, which we told on the home tech show was, um, when I was watching one of their, uh, events at a coffee shop and I got up to use the bathroom and came back and missed, had missed the entire HomeKit portion. <laughs> I, sh- I should mention that was a number one, not a number two. So, um, so you know. This is not, a family show. I'm not going to yeah. podcast. Throw some more firewood on that fire there. Yeah, sorry. Too much eggnog. <laughs> well, Jason, uh, so we, we talked about our favorite stories of uh, 2015. What, what's yours? Yeah, so mine is actually a little bit more of, I guess, coming at it from a different angle. You know, we talked about... Um, we talked about Amazon and Wink and HomeKit, so some big initiatives here. And actually, one of my, you know, personal favorite stories of the year, and a topic that's near and dear to my heart as a, as a professional integrator, is um, you know that what we're starting to see creep into the crowdfunding scene and the startup scene with companies like uh, Neo and Umi, which we've talked about both on the show. We've had both of them on the show. And what I like about these companies is that they're actually taking aim at control of the media room. So we've seen a lot of activity in the startup space for quite some time. Uh, 
with point solutions and things like smart light bulbs and thermostats and things of that nature. But what we haven't seen a lot of is, you know, basic control of TV and entertainment devices like cable boxes and Blu-ray players and Apple TVs and things of that nature. And, um, you know, as a professional integrator, Seth, you and I integrate these sort of systems all the time. It's kind of been our bread and butter for years and years. And so we're so used to dealing with that. And we're so well aware of a lot of the challenges that are associated with that. And so to me, I was just really happy to start seeing some startups come onto the scene and both, I should mention, with great success on their crowdfunding campaigns, uh, taking aim at control of the media room. I thought that was a great story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the and we're seeing really good efforts. Um, I mean, I kind of made fun of, of Logitech a little bit there uh, earlier, but um, they definitely have a very compelling uh, platform now. I think Richard, you you're probably the biggest Logitech user. I don't. I'm not. Can't speak for Mike very well, but I know. I know. I've heard you talk highly of Logitech. Yeah. Um. In yeah. the past. Absolutely. And I think they've done a great job of integrating with lots of different ecosystems. You know, they're kind of taking the same approach that Amazon is with the Echo, where they're integrating with pretty much any IP addressable platform that they can get their claws on. And it's made your universal remote control uh, far more universal. Right, right. And we've talked about that on the show, too. I love the fact that uh, we're seeing more and more from Logitech in terms of, you know, integrations with with other control systems in the house. So lighting and shades and things of that nature. So generally, I think that kind of ties together with my point here is that we're seeing more of a, of an overlap and we're not seeing that that line of delineation that I felt like there was always that was always there last year in terms of if you were out shopping for connected devices and you wanted control of your media room, it was still really the realm of very few players like Logitech or, you know, tr more quote unquote traditional solutions like a universal remote or a Savant or Crestron or things of that nature. Yep. They were late on, they were late on their, their Z-Wave extender, I think by quite a bit though. So I don't know if you've gotten a hold of that, Richard, but I'd be interested to hear. They, I don't think they shipped that until September or October, not, not to derail the conversation, but I, I do like what Logic was doing. And I agree with this theme of like kind of the remote control being really uh, a new and interesting entrant. Um, I, the Savant remote that they, they talked about at, 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 at Cedia. And then obviously Logitech that was announced, I think at, at CES or even no, actually that predates back into 2014. Yep. Very interesting. I haven't, tr and the Neo is interesting as well. So yeah, great looking. Neo is a great looking remote. Seth and I are both very excited to see uh, how those guys do in the market. Um, but anyways, to your point, um, just kind of thought that broad theme of, of seeing those lines blur between uh, the media room and the rest of the smart home uh, to me, was one of my favorite stories of the year and something that uh, I hope continues as we move into the new year. Let's uh, go ahead and move on here into our kind of our second main segment of the show. And what we want to talk about here is kind of, I guess, get a little bit more high level and talk about what some of the most important overall stories or themes that we saw take shape in the smart home in 2015. And uh, so, Mike, let's start with you on this one again and, and let us know what you think was kind of the most important uh, sort of broad theme or story that you saw take place this year. I think maybe the story of the year was just what I saw as a little bit of a, a market shakeout among the DIY smart homes players. And I think, you know, we talked about Wink. Um, you, you've seen a lot of companies that were kind of coming through the crowdfunding side of things that never really delivered. I think the um, the, the Chewy smart doorbell, I don't think ever delivered. We, I'm still waiting for uh, 
Uh, Goji, the name of it now, but the, the Wi-Fi smart Goji, the white. Every every month or so, I'll go in and check on their social media feeds, and they've gone completely dead. So that's like the kind of the sign that the <laughs> they're, they're truly probably uh, dead at this point. But I just think, and and there was a lot of conversation, I think, mid year to early fall, um, based on some market research that I think was kind of questionable because people were basing it off of social media uh, reactions around consumers. But I do think that there was an overabundance of people trying to be the smart home DIY platform. And I think the, the the kind of the industry stepped back a little bit and said, hey, we don't need to another wink. We don't need another smart things. Let's try to go at this from another angle and maybe create an interesting point device. So um, I'm seeing a lot of interesting innovation around things like that there's an abundance of smart doorbells. There's a lot of other new products like uh, the, the Neo that are interesting. But I do think that we saw a little bit of a retrenchment among a lot of these startups and maybe that kind of led to maybe a little bit of disenchantment from the investment community. I don't think people are pulling completely out of this market, but I, I just saw a little bit of that. So I'd say that's probably the number one trend. And I do think secondly, um, what was interesting is watching what Google's doing. I, I don't want to go too much into it, but I think just they're pulling away, adding to the story beyond just nest, right? Cause it was just nest for about a year and a half. Um, and then drop cam they acquired, which was very quiet. They finally kind of, assimilated all those brands under the Nest brand for their own hardware. And then they unleashed uh, an array of different initiatives. One was uh, Weave and Brillo. And then there was Nest Weave, which was related to Brillo-centric Weave, but more for kind of direct connect device-to-device -device communication. But I think that'll be an interesting story heading into 2016 to watch what happens there. Definitely. Yeah. The, um, you know, Google's efforts with, with Weave and Thread, I have to admit, even as somebody who watches the industry closely, my head started to spin a little bit <clears throat> when I was sort of trying to decipher the difference uh, between what all of these are. And I think I have kind of a handle on it now, but I agree with you that um, 2016 <clears throat> will probably be the year that we really start to see those uh, take shape and, uh, you know, shake out and, and, and really figure out, I guess, what the, the significance uh, of those is going to be. Richard, let's move to you. We'll, we'll move right through this here and, and tell us what you think was kind of the most important overall stories or themes that you saw take place this year. Yeah, so I think the big thing that I noticed this year was an evolution of the retail landscape. Last year, Mike and I both wrote a bit about the opportunity and some of the fumbles that had been occurring in retail for smart home and connected devices. And I'd say that Things haven't improved significantly through the year. We've seen some changes. We've seen some additional falters. And we've seen some new entrants that I think are very interesting. So let's let's look at like some of the mainstays like Best Buy and Home Depot and Lowe's. These are places where you would expect to buy stuff for your home or connected devices. It's a logical fit in what they have. And yet none of them have really seemed to present product in a way that suggests that they have a coherent strategy across their entire store brand. And right now, I, I think, you know, you can go into one Lowe's and you may find hubs and devices there or you may not. I, it's the, I think the current situation with existing stores is kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> selling home automation has been kind of uh, one of those those odd things that I've had to do for a couple of years here. Um, but but yeah, I, I 
I agree that walking into like any one of the retail outlets that that have you know been advertised um, to 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 sell home automation products, they, they've had a, a struggle. Um, they've had a struggle to, in a way, I guess, to present it to 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 say you know why why do you want to have this product in your home? Uh, and I I don't think that that message is is actually being delivered. Right. Um, right. I I am encouraged that that there are like insurance companies that say oh well. If you put this water detector in your house, we'll give you an in, you know you can monitor water on your phone, but we'll also give you a discount on your insurance. I I'm encouraged by things like that and and security companies and and getting in and doing that kind of thing, but I, I'm I'm kind of curious as to how the retail is going to shake out uh, too. I mean it, it's it's very odd as to what has happened. Everybody's tried um, this year, but it, it doesn't seem anything has fit hundred uh, percent. Right. And again, I'm just not convinced that these companies have a good strategy yet. I think that's largely the problem. Interestingly enough, Radio Shack, you know, Radio Shack has, has, uh, well, let's just say that they've had a really rough year. And while they declared bankruptcy, they're not entirely gone. And Radio Shack stores do sell some connected home products. And Radio Shack seems like such a huge lost opportunity in so many different ways, but such a logical place for connected devices. And I, you know, I was hoping that we would be able to see more there, but obviously not. Then there's companies like Staples. Um, Staples offered Staples Connect. We thought that they were going to do something amazing there, and they've done pretty much nothing with it all year long. But we have seen new entrants like Sears and Target with their prototype stores and the types of um, the, the, the types of experiential presentation that they're trying to do with product. And Mike, you were recently at the target prototype. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to, to go in it. I like it. It's, it's a, uh, and perhaps the, if you haven't had a chance, the coolest thing about it is these uh, experiences that they've created. And so if you press a button in the baby room, it'll give you the nighttime scene or the nighttime routine. Or if you go into the kitchen, it'll give you the kitchen routine. So I think they're on the right track. I think they're like 60 to 70% there. Um, but I at least like the intention of what they're doing. I think that most interesting is someone new coming in this entirely. And that's just the very recent announcement that, some guys who used to work at Nest got together, found some funding, and they opened a boutique connected gadget shop in California called Beta. I think this is an, an, an really, really interesting endeavor and something that I want to watch because I honestly have always thought that there is an opportunity for someone to come in and do this right. And I kind of think if anyone can do it right, it might be folks who have worked with an innovative company like Nest. Yeah, I, I think that the beta model is really interesting. And Mike, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on it. I'm just curious if it's something that you guys think can really scale, or is this something that just works like as a boutique shop in Silicon Valley? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think at first glance, you might just think, oh, it's this thing that will be in Palo Alto and all the, the guys at Google and, and Apple will buy products there. Um, but I think it's a really interesting way to, for people to test out concepts. And if I'm going to give like a 30 second description just for people to have context, it's basically this idea where they're not going to buy the inventory. You, they're essentially, they call it retail as a service where they're renting shelf space. So Tefori is an example. They're like this connected T robot. Um, 
And so it, I think it's more interesting when you take this out of Silicon Valley and put it in like Minnesota or put it in Florida and see how people react to products. And mm -hmm. so if you're a company who wants to see if your product actually sell to humans and not just people in Silicon Valley, um, who are all half robot. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, <laughs> this is like one way to do that. I, but I, to your point, I think you're alluding to this, Jason. I don't know if it's a thousand store footprint. I, I could see like a hundred of these in various markets around the country would be a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Something like, you know, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, you know, those are kind of markets I, I can see, but um, that was just kind of my first thought. It, it looks like a really neat idea. And I actually hadn't even had a chance to dig in and really kind of understand the business model. So I appreciate actually your, your short summary of it there and kind of their approach to, um, you know, not holding inventory and renting out the space. I think it's really interesting and uh, certainly something that anybody following the smart home should be paying attention to. Um, let's move on here. Seth, why don't you give us your thoughts on the most important overall story or theme of in the smart home of uh, 2015? Well, I definitely did. The most important story was the homeboy for Instagram hub app. Uh, for Windows Phone. Uh -huh. <laughs> See? Right, exactly. I like it. Links will be in the show notes. <laughs> um, to do what we can, man. <laughs> um, so a little, little promotion for Richard's app there, uh, which which really does look pretty good. I, I just don't have a Windows Phone um, to test it out on, so um looks, looks really nice. Um, I, I think Jason and I will probably... Uh, agree that from our perspective, the movement from uh, from having this from from having products in general only available in the pro install market and kind of moving over to DIY, um, seeing that movement over this last year has been pretty pretty big for us. Um, in so much as that, like some of our vendors have actually crossed over those lines um, to where they're selling uh, direct into the DIY market. Um, which which is really cool uh, because for for me it brings kind of a general awareness you know into um, the the just the general population to know that you know oh you can um, you can turn on your lights on and off fairly easily with your iPhone or Android um, that 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 can be done and there are some products sitting on the shelf at either Home Depot or, or, or Staples even um, that that um that you can pick up and and make work. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to a number of people in the area that I've just kind of run into, and they've said, "Oh, yeah, I've got some uh, home technology product in my house. I bought it at I bought a Lowe's Iris system. I mean, that was the last one I, I can think of that I talked to. And it's like, I, I every time I walk by the, the shelves in, in Lowe's, the, the they look like half and half. Like, like they look kind of maybe they've been picked over, and then I I can't really figure out if they're just not restocking it or like people are actually coming in and buying this stuff because it looks like a compelling product. It looks interesting, and this guy had nothing but positive things to say about it. Um, so I, I'm really excited about that in general. Like the, just this this general awareness of of the industry that I I've come to to love and enjoy and and work in. Um, I, I'm just happy to see that it's available to not just like the super rich and and maybe the moderately wealthy that, that I've been dealing with for the past 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'll just kind of jump in with mine here and then we can all sort of kick them around for just a second because mine really is essentially the same thing. And, and to me, the most important theme of this year was just the, the continued blurring of those lines between do-it-yourself technology and technology that has traditionally been sold and installed only by authorized dealers through the Cedia channel. This was a, a theme that we talked about last year at Cedia. 
It was without question one of the big themes that I was watching this year at Cedia, and uh, I think it's just going to continue. And Seth, I think your your point was kind of, I think, mostly focused on you as an integrator and maybe the other professional integrators in our audience um, kind of embracing this uh, movement and figuring out ways to uh, use it to our advantage. And And I think that's a super interesting aspect of it. I think kind of the main thing I wanted to touch on was, <clears throat> I guess, more from like the manufacturer perspective. And I just think it's interesting to watch companies like Savant try to straddle that line. They've so for so long since they came out, they've been a traditionally installed CDA type of product. And now they've got this Savant remote out and who knows, you know, where else that strategy is going to lead. And I think it's going to be a, a very, I think it's going to present a very unique set of challenges to a company like Savant to try and straddle both of those markets. I mean, I can tell you uh, as a Savant dealer and as somebody who um, associates with other Savant dealers that, you know, there's a lot of mixed emotions about it. I don't think that I have quite as much trepidation about it as a number of the other dealers that I've spoken with about it. I think I, I, I come down more on your side of the argument, Seth, where I think it's generally a good thing and it's, it's creating awareness and, and promoting a broader market for our products. But at the same time, I do see kind of the downside and why some of the integrators out there are a little bit reticent about it. And so I just think for a company like Savant to try and straddle that line, it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, on the flip side of that coin, you've got a company like Nest, who was at Cedia this year, uh, advertising their Nest Pro program, which Richard, you and I saw each other on the show floor. I told you I didn't understand what Nest Pro was, <laughs> and I, I think we we laughed about it, and you said you didn't either. And, and you know, I have to admit, I'm sitting here, and I, I still don't. What I do think is interesting is that Nest is even bothering and, and taking an, a look at the Cedia channel. Um, I just I find that interesting. So I think just watching companies try to straddle this line and and come up with different strategies. And the last one I'll mention is Lutron. We've talked about Lutron uh, a lot on Home Tech, and I think they've done, a, a, I think, a pretty masterful job of putting out different segments and different product lines and tailoring to those different parts of the market. And as a Lutron guy um, at my day-to-day -day business, we do a ton of Lutron. It's a very, very core part of our business and they've managed to uh, maintain the integrity of some of those higher end lines that we sell while still giving us options to sell to those entry and mid-level jobs and even um, you know to go out for consumers who just can't afford anything we do and just point them towards something like Caseta and say you know go for it and uh, you should be able to figure it out so just in summary I think to me that was the most interesting and significant uh, story of the year from a home technology perspective was watching these different companies um, try to straddle those different uh, different marketing, you know, go-to-market type of uh, strategies. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, that was my biggest takeaway from Cedia was this crossover that we're seeing. And we saw it in years past, but this year it really, it, it hit you in the face. It was so obvious and so interesting. Yeah, it's it's a big story. Um, Seth, did you have anything else you wanted to add? I mean, I kind of jumped in, and I know you were we were sort of talking about the same uh, same topic, and I don't want to move on. Uh, if you had anything else that you kind of wanted to chime in on this uh, this particular topic here, no, I mean, I I just I'm glad that there's there's all this um, this crossover you know, happening. I I mean, from our perspective, everything is changing, and you know, for some people in our industry, that's that's a tough thing to have happen. Um, but it's changing for very much the better. And uh, like I've, I've told people this story in the past, like uh, five years ago, 
you know, I, I held an iPad in my hand and turned on and off lights in my showroom, and that was magical. <laughs> and now it's just <laughs> one of those things that's, oh, yeah, it's expected. <laughs> it's not even an, it, it's not an option. That's expected as to what goes on. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I, I'm just glad that the awareness is there and, um, you know, things, companies like Nest, you know, and, and, uh, and Lutron exist um, to, to help bring in additional business. I mean, that's, that's really um, the, what I enjoy because I, I def- we definitely, Jason, you and I definitely serve a, a different crowd. I mean, we're serving the do-it-for-me crowd or um, the, the, the people who just don't want to touch the stuff at all. They just want to walk in and turn their lights on and be done with it. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess we can kind of move on to uh, our, our, our themes or kind of predictions of uh, – of what we feel that we will see define the smart home or, or the, this, this market in, uh, in the year coming forward in 2016. Um, and I guess we can kick off with Mike, kind of going in order again. Uh, Mike, uh, what do you think 2016 is going to bring us? Well, there's a story that came out last week that I think is maybe an indicator. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that Smart Things has integrated with the, the Scout Alarm uh, central monitoring service. And it's interesting because Scout, which is basically a DIY smart home set of hardware and service has decoupled their, their monitoring service and integrated with smart things. And there's no integration with the hardware. So they basically said here, smart things, why don't you use our monitoring service? And I think it's a sign of what's going to come where these DIY smart home companies who are making probably pretty little margin on smart home are really going to try and figure out how to monetize uh, through services and, uh, and through associated Plat, you know, service platforms. So I think that's just something I think is going to be a big trend. I think just more broadly, um, just there's going to be a real focus on how to to get recurring monthly revenue and monetize beyond just selling a, that initial hardware. And that's really the promise of connected devices, right? I mean, that's really the promise of something that is that has like powerful software, powerful processors, and connects the network is that you can connect and monetize through services. So I think they're going to try and fulfill that vision. I think another interesting trend is I just see uh, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, AI, and that intersection with the smart home becoming a bigger and bigger issue. So, I mean, I think the most obvious story of 2015 in that regard is is Alexa, which is really uh, the virtual assistant behind the Amazon Echo and, and one that Amazon is investing a ton in. They actually created a $100 million fund where they're investing in, in companies that integrate Alexa. It's called the Alexa Fund. That's a huge strategic investment by Amazon. And I see, I think you're seeing Apple and Google invest heavily and try to, try to, there's essentially a, a space race right now and a, an effort to roll up all the really smart people in AI and machine, machine learning right now by all these big tech companies. And I think they're going to start to p- apply that more and more to the smart home. Then lastly, I think just the battle between Bluetooth and Thread. I, it was a really interesting development about a month ago. Uh, Thread basically said, okay, now you can, the Thread spec is available. Uh, and this is what threads can do and, 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 and use thread people. And in the same day, uh, Bluetooth came out with their map, the roadmap for 2016. I don't know if it's like intentional, but I really see that as shaping up to be kind of a battle for IOT and, and networking connectivity, because I think Bluetooth has a lot of built-in advantages and that is so pervasive. Um, and they're finally rolling out mesh if it works and they're trying to layer in IP. And I think from a fresh sheet of paper perspective, Thread just looks so good um, if you're integrating and trying to build around a new next generation networking connectivity um, and technology. I think Thread really makes a lot of sense. I think that's going to be an interesting battle to watch. 
Yeah, I, I have to question on Bluetooth. Like, it it's all like it, it sounds good, but I mean, I know Thread, and see, this is where I mean, Jason said he thought he had his head wrapped around it. I don't have my head wrapped around the Thread mess and and the mess that Google has made of like what Thread is, what Zigbee plays, what six lo- where does where does all this stuff play into thread like i'm i'm actually just totally confused on it i'm just like let's wait till it actually flushes out and actually is something that's in a product that works um like i know thread has a little bit of zigbee in it right like that's that's what they say they're based off of right yeah it builds on top of the same ieee um physical air technology and 802.15.4 to get nerdy um and to be to be totally honest i think you're right in the sense of like they are basically starting from scratch in the sense that while they have this foundational technology, there's no real – outside of Nest devices, there's not a lot of thread out there. Um, so I think they have that big challenge out of them. And at the same time, uh, there's a there's a race by the Wi-Fi guys to get Wi-Fi low power enough. And there's been some really interesting advancements in Wi-Fi. Um, one example is the Roos uh, smart battery that actually essentially takes a, a, a smoke arm and makes it smart. And it's supposedly supposed to last a, a year or more on a, on, on one battery with a Wi-Fi radio. So hmm. there's a real, I think the battle between these networks is going to be really interesting. And so I could, I can include Wi-Fi in that conversation as well. So yeah. that'll be something to watch in 2016. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely uh, shaping up to be an interesting battle. And, and Mike, you and I were actually exchanging some tweets on this not too long ago. And really, as always appreciate your insight on this. I think, uh, you know, not trying to flatter you too much, but you're one of the kind of the go-to guys when it comes to these high level uh, strategic discussions. So I, I really, um, I think it's interesting insight and definitely appreciate it. Uh, Richard, let's, let's move to you here. Um, and just give us kind of your idea as to what, what, what's going to be kind of the biggest story or the biggest trend that you're going to be watching in the smart home as we move into 2016. So one of the things that I think has been happening over this last year is a very decisive and a very visible move into the smart home space by basically the big tech companies, by Google, by Apple, by Microsoft. And yes, I said Microsoft. So Yeah, a little double take there. So from the Google (laughs) perspective, obviously they have Nest. They're creating a company specifically focused on building home technology and connecting your home with other devices. They have Weave. You know, we're talking about Thread. It's interesting to note that uh, the confusion around Thread and Weave and everything coming out of Google and coming out of the discussion that we just had is um, not unnoticed, right? Thread isn't Google. Google is a participant in a group that is backing Thread, but Thread is really a derivative of Weave, which came from Nest, and Thread has a life of its own outside of Google. So there, a lot of that stuff has to shake itself out, and I think that, you know, I think we have to see what happens there. So I'm saying Google, but really, you know, it's it's Alphabet. It's the collection of companies, and predominantly what we've seen is moves from the company known as Google, Google, and the company known as Nest right now. Now on the Apple so side, confusing. it is. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> they just they just made everything more confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now on the Apple side, HomeKit. Obviously, I remember two years ago about this time having an episode 
where I talked about this concept that, you know, do you think Apple would get into home automation? And if they did, what would that look like? And to some extent, I think we're still asking the question, what would it look like? <laughs> I, I don't I don't think we really know yet what the grand vision is, at least how Apple might expect it to be implemented. They've created a tool set and a framework that allows product and software manufacturers to build great things. And I I hope they do, and I hope it gets better, and I'm sure we're going to see more from them next year. How visible it's going to be, I just don't know. And then finally, on the Microsoft side, you know, I only know this for, as a Microsoft follower and uh, just, you know, knowing what I know about the things that have been on their radar and that they've talked about publicly so far. But, you know, rumors are that Microsoft's going to be doing some great stuff in this. And I that doesn't surprise me at all. Most people probably don't even realize that Microsoft has an IoT layer baked into Windows 10 already. It's there on every Windows 10 device. Now, it's all join, so I don't know how exciting that is to most people, but it creates significant opportunity for developers, and it, it potentially unlocks a whole lot of capability just because, like HomeKit, it's, just, it's built in. It's right there. It's available. And I'm expecting and, and hoping that we're going to see that and more come to life next year from Microsoft. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I, I can't say that I uh, anticipated hearing uh, a whole lot about Microsoft on tonight's little fireside chat here. And, and I, so I appreciate the interesting wrinkle there. <laughs> and uh, we'll definitely be intrigued, Richard, to keep an eye on that and uh, watch how that how that unfolds. Sounds like maybe you have some inside information. And, and so you'll be the guy to you'll be the guy that I'll be listening to to, to kind of see how that takes shape. Uh, let's let's move to you, Seth. Let's talk about what you think uh, will really define the smart home as we move again into 2016. Well, I think I think more than anything, in 2016, we'll finally see everyone settle on a single standard and way of doing home automation, and uh, all our homes will come together and sing kumbaya. And uh, <laughs> no, no, wait, no, that's not going to happen at all. And Sonos still will not have AirPlay. Um, so the uh, <laughs> got to get it in every episode, right? <laughs> so the thing I, I um, I'm most excited about, and I think once everybody kind of has their platform settled down and and, and in place and intact, um, they're going to start working on uh, a little bit more of of actual home automation. And Mike touched on this previously, um, where he was talking about me machine learning and AI and how uh, Google and and Apple and everybody in technology these days are scooping up all the AI guys. Um, that that's going to be pretty big uh, moving forward. Like we need homes that actually can program themselves and, and program themselves correctly and learn correctly. Um, you know, there, there's there's a big learning curve when it comes to setting up and installing these devices and, and these systems. Um, but there's an even bigger learning curve when it comes to programming and making them work together. Uh, and even using something as simple as if this, then that, which I've never even been able to wrap my head around. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like that, 
I, I could not hand that off to my grandmother and expect her to to get anywhere with it. Like I just I but we need to have some types of devices that actually work well together and 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 don't do crazy things. Like I was listening again on Stacy's show. I'm going to plug it again. Um, it was actually pretty good. She was talking about her garage door opener was turning up her heat at night. And yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> so weird. Um, but that, that's the kind of stuff that's going on right now. And is it some kind of strange learning algorithm that's just getting out of whack and, and the garage door opener is able to turn on the heat in the middle of the night? Who knows? But, um, I, I really think this move towards, uh, the conscious home, I think, is what we've talked about before. I really think that's going to be um, a big push here in 2016. I think now that everybody's kind of like the dust seems to be settling and everybody's kind of picked their corners and, and what they want to do, I think we're going to see more and more say, oh, well, you know, like the UMI platform we had, like here's how we can automatically set up your house after you've installed these devices. Um, and I, I really see that as being something that, that could be huge next year. Yeah, definitely. And and we are running tight on time here. But Richard, I, I want to get one thought from you on this, because I know this is something that uh, has come up in our conversations before. And that is sort of what Seth was alluding to with if this, then that and, and some of the limitations, I think that you've vocalized very well, in terms of, of being limited on the conditional logic. So really, with if this, then that you've got a trigger and an action. But as with a lot of these rules engines that are out there right now, you don't really have a way to, I guess, kind of filter whether or not that action takes place based on some specific criteria, right? right? I think right. you get where I'm going with that. Exactly. And just go ahead and elaborate on that really quickly, and then I'll jump into uh, into what I think will be uh, kind of important moving forward. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest weakness with IFTTT right now is that conditional capability for the logic. And this is really plaguing many systems out there, many of the systems that you can buy on a shelf and add to your home and set up yourself just don't have complex logic because setting up complex logic is hard. IFTTT is trying to be easy. And while that's great for the majority of people, it doesn't really do what we need for our homes to be truly smart. And, you know, the example is that if you open your door at three in the morning and by design, when your door opens, the lights go on, the music goes on, stuff like that. Do you really want that to happen in three in the morning? Probably not, but you can't filter that out. And uh, I think uh, Jamie Simonoff from Ring on my show said it best where he feels like they just need one more T in there. If, if you could, yeah. <laughs> if you could have, if this and this, then do that, that sort of logic would be very helpful. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. My, you my head is already Richard. spinning. So, uh, <laughs> I think I need a, a lynda.com class on if this and that at this point. <laughs> well, well, point point taken, and I think it does point to uh, still some of the limitations of this quote-unquote simple or uh, DIY straight-to-consumer type of technology and where it differentiates from what um, you know a system like a Savant or a Crestron uh, could handle pretty easily or a Control 4 for that matter. And um, I think that ties into my point and the thing that I kind of want to wrap up here with talking about as we move into 2016 and what I think is going to be important is again um coming at this from being a CDA guy through and through this this is a, a big thing to me is what I hope happens this year as kind of a, a broader awakening I feel like in the CDA channel um to the realization that um smart home as a service and that's a that's a term that Julie Jacobson over at CE Pro came up with and I actually really really like it because I think it sums up, in a way, the future of what uh, 
our industry needs to uh, look at in order to define what we do to really add value. Um, more and more, we're going to see the uh, functionality uh, go up in the lower end of the market and the costs are going to continue to go down. And so what we can do to add value to the smart home is really going to be less and less about the equipment that we sell and more and more about the service and the support that we're able to provide. And I think that you can actually extrapolate that one step further. And even when you talk <clears throat> about some of these larger companies, uh, manufacturers that are selling products straight to consumer, one of the things that I'm interested to watch is how I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough is how are these companies going to be able to support this? Because I know from over a decade of going out and working hands-on with home technology systems that it, it's never the case that you open up a piece of technology and it just configures exactly the way the manual tells you that it's going to and that you don't run into any issues because there's just there's too many moving parts when you start getting things on the network and you've got different you know uh, environmental uh, <clears throat> factors like uh, RF interference and and the list goes on and on. So how are these companies going to be able to adapt to that need for support and that need uh, to be able to really keep the uptime going. And I think there is at least uh, somewhat of a convergence there that could happen between um, guys like me who do smart home uh, professionally, really taking a look and, and kind of shifting the business model uh, gradually to something that's really more service-based, uh, really embracing tools that allow me to remotely manage, uh, have visibility into the systems that we're deploying, have the ability, ability to remotely reboot devices, which we're already doing. You know, we have some of that ability, but I think it's going to, you know, continue to become more prevalent, uh, easier to implement, and just uh, something that more people on my side of the market really embrace or, you know, eventually go out of business. I think I, I think our hand is being forced. I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. I just see it as the reality. And uh, that's probably the main topic that I'll be watching as we move through 2016 is that broad theme of you know, how are all of these devices going to be supported and how do I, as a professional integrator, uh, fit into that equation? So I'll, I'll open that up real quickly uh, for thoughts um, from you guys, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I think service is a, is a major part of it. So, and it's going to be tough to, uh, to, um, to figure out. I mean, all of these, you know, one of the things you said there was uptime and I kind of made a joke in our little back channel chat, like five nines home automation, like, <laughs> if I the nines are, are what Dot websites com. you know, well, yeah right. <laughs> Gotta go register that real quick. Um, <laughs> the the nines are what websites and services always brag about having. Like if they have ninety nine point nine 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 percent reliability, then um, that that's kind of I think the industry standard these days. And then like you move into six and seven nines if you're like on government and and that kind of thing. So like. The reliability of these products is is clearly not there. We're probably in the maybe two nines or three nines, <laughs> two nines I guess, um, of 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 the world uh, of getting things working. And uh, that's when you need you do need a helping hand, whether it's um, like online support or um, which you know couple of couple of things that I've seen. Um, you know, when I was setting up my Wink Egg Minder, um, I, I, did, <laughs> I did make note as. <laughs> I did make note as to how well they they um they pushed their support. Um, th there was I did run into a couple problems, and he, at each step there, they were like, they threw it in front of my face, like, please call us, please, t you know, text us on Twitter and that kind of thing. Like they they were really reaching out for that support, and I think that's 
a decent way of doing it like for for some people but other people would just get frustrated and say this is a piece of junk and and, and throw it out the next day um so yeah i'm uh i'm glad to see that and uh w- with that anybody else have anything they want to say no no i think i think that's it uh from my end the fire's getting low here and i need a refill on eggnog so <laughs> rum <laughs> <laughs> Uh, really appreciate it, guys. I guess we can kind of um, wrap this up here. Uh, once again, this was kind of the inaugural version of, of what I hope, at least, will be sort of an annual thing, the technology.fm uh, you know, fireside chat where we all just kind of get together and, and talk about the year and, and what happened, what was big in the year, and, of course, uh, look forward to next year. This is always a good time of year um, in our personal and professional lives, of course, to um, take that moment and just kind of reflect. And so I really enjoyed... Uh, getting your guys' thoughts on all of these topics, and I thought it went great. Mike, um, really appreciate it. Do you have any, anything else you wanted to add at the end here? No, I think it was good, and maybe next year at this time we can we can look back on what we said and see how wrong we were on everything. And uh, <laughs> and I just want to make a request. Maybe uh, maybe Richard could take us out on a song, like a Christmas carol. Oh, yeah, that's so not happening. <laughs> going to put him on the spot. That is that's not gonna that's so not happening. <laughs> Seth, 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 you want to do that? <laughs> I was just bragging about trying to set up my Apple Music on my Sonos before I started the show, but um, it hasn't happened yet, and I can't figure out how to do it. So uh, after we get off the the, the line here, I'm I'm going to try and give it a shot. So um, yeah, definitely want to thank everybody for uh, for taking time out of the busy schedules, and uh, I also want to like thank our families <laughs> for putting up with our our crazy uh, little hobby that we have here. Like so we, true. Jason and I sit down and try and do this every week, and I'm sure you guys run into the same crazy schedules on 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 your shows. Um, our families definitely deserve some thanks on this too, because this was a little tough to get together, and I'm sure we had some some crazy scheduling issues that ha- um, that happened. So um, yeah, just wanted to definitely. throw that out there. <clears throat> yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Mentioning that, I think that's very true, uh, Richard. Let's give you the last word here. Yeah, no, this was fantastic. I'm really glad that you pulled this together. I definitely want to be doing this again every year. You know, every year, I think we all try and evaluate, okay, well, what was this year about and um, what is next year going to be about? But this space is moving so fast. So I'm really eager to get together again this time next year And like Mike said, think, you know, how on target or off target were we? Or how many of these companies that we talked about today still exist? How many of them have evolved into different things? This is a fascinating space for me, and I'm glad that we got a chance to do something collaboratively with all of us. All right. I agree. And once again, thank you guys, everybody, so much for uh, coming together. And to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We wish you happy holidays, uh, a great new year. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon on an upcoming episode. That was fun, wasn't it? Hope you enjoyed this fireside chat. That's really all I want to say. Hope each and every one of you that listens has a great holiday and a great new year. Bye, everyone.